All right. Excellent. We ready to go? Yes. All righty. And yes, I am reclining on the guest bedroom. <laughs> Hello, welcome to this, the Ian Prendercast, another Carlton podcast. We're brought to you as always by 121 Media and MGA. My name is Sean Peterbudge, and he packed up the family truckster and took the tribe cross-country. That sounds like absolute hell to me, Timbo Slice. How are you, and where are you? <laughs> okay, I'm, I am excellent, thank you very much, Sean, and a happy Easter to you. Yeah, um, whatever. Others probably won't be listening to this on a Sunday, but we are recording on Easter Sunday. Um, the tribe, yes, we're down at Point Leo, which is probably only an hour from home, but um, we we found a house um, down here um, last year and got a remarkable bargain for an Easter, four-day Easter break down at the peninsula. It was too good to um, pass up. What was 200 bucks a night, which at Easter on the peninsula should be two and a half times that, so... Anyway, um, it is what it is. Um, let's just, I, and, suppose, and so we said, I suppose, Tim, let's hope that whoever's leasing this isn't a listener of the show. Well, interestingly, the rent went up $100 a oh. night since last year, and yet I still think it's a bargain. <laughs> so we're back. <laughs> <sighs> very good. Very good. Well, we won't, uh, we won't bury the lead here. The big man for Baganash, he's not here. He wasn't available till Tuesday, and I cut it like such. We're not talking about a match that happened on Friday on Tuesday where people then listen to it on Wednesday. We're, we're 24 hours out from the next game. So I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where he is, but I don't know about you, Timbo. You might have noticed me and Fab were a bit like Virgil Solozzo and uh, Michael Corleone of late. I don't know which one's which. I don't know who's about to get killed in the restaurant, but it's one of us. Well, he's... Um... <laughs> He's obviously he's entitled to put family ahead of things at Easter. Oh no, Timbo, you're dying on us over there. Oh no, Timbo's gone. Timbo's talking. He doesn't realise that I've lost him. Timbo, uh, bear oh, with me. Oh no, this could be disastrous. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We had suggestions of me just doing a one-hander. And it might be what this becomes. Timbo's doing some running repairs right. is there. Is that better? That is better. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I've... Can you hear me? I, I, can you hear me, Bucks? Yes. Can you hear me, Bucks? <laughs> okay, oh. well, I, I was on the um, I was on the ear, ear pods. Mm-hmm. Um. Now I'm just back on the standard iPhone. Oh, no. This is disastrous. This this does not bode well, Tim. We're three minutes into the record, and we've already hit the skids. Um, no, so look, Fab, Fab's not with us today. That's fine. I said he's got uh, other family issues. Couldn't record till Tuesday. There was no point us waiting till Tuesday to record when we could record today. So uh, I'm sure he'll be back on deck next week or whenever. I don't know about you, Tim. I think, I think uh, Fab and I, I don't know. I think we have to have it out. I think we're having one of our bi-yearly spats. I think you're right. I, I, I don't get it because um, 
I think you're both right in a couple of things that you've been saying, and um, but I think you're just great on one another. I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, see, we're not talking. The listeners, you know, may be familiar, but we go through these little peaks and troughs uh, throughout the course of the year, and we're not talking off pod just at the moment uh, for whatever reason. He's just he's just stopped calling. He'll he'll say, "Why don't you call me?" But well, that, that's. He's usually driving somewhere. I'm gettable on the road. I don't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what I'm doing at the time of day he usually calls. He stopped doing that, so that's okay. I'm sure he'll he'll say there's no issues, but reach out to him. You might have a few things going on. I don't know. Um, Prenda DJ last week was uh, – what was Prenda DJ? It was uh, The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, of course. Um, it was actually kind of like an inverted jab at myself and my own cynicism, if that makes sense. <laughs> so we had a couple of people, Shadesy and Adrian Salerno. Uh, everyone needs to calm the farm. It's coming together for us. It's been 20 years. What's another 20 rounds? And Shadesy said, uh, supporters' apathy towards results despite our method. Hashtag genuine 2000s banger. That is a genuine 2000s banger. Um, no, it was just sort of more a, a crack at myself and my own uh, cynicism, to be honest. But I like those attempts. So we will have another song at the end of this episode. Um, so, of course, hashtag Prenda DJ to have a crack at that. Um, and get yourself a shout-out and put yourself in the mix to potentially, I don't know, win that pointless segment. I don't know what you get. Pride, <laughs> whatever. Oh, Timbo. Oh. No, 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 no. So back on the millionaire, uh, millionaire tra- uh, trail here, and just to be quite frank... I'm not a big fan of this week's question. I feel like you might get it. I feel like this could be something you will know. Um, I just, I don't know. Usually I like to come up with a couple of questions when I'm in the groove. I, I usually like to come up with, you know, two, three, four ahead while I'm in that vein of thinking. Um, but I had to do this one yesterday and it, uh, I don't know how it's come out. So we'll wait and see. You, you of course, only have a 50-50. So yep. Fab's not here. God, that was I really didn't like that last week. All right. I loved it. Timbo. Yes. Your question is Departing England in May of 1787, Arthur Phillips' first fleet left from which southern England port? Was it A Portsmouth? B Eastbourne? C Southampton? Or D Brighton. Wowee. I, um... You're going to do it, aren't you? You're going to use the 50-50, aren't you? You're just going to use it. Well, I have to. I'd be silly not to. So, I... Give me your 50-50. I have an opinion, and I'm just interested to see where my two options are going to fall. So, your 50-50, you coward, will knock out B, Eastbourne... And D, Brighton. Well, that's disappointing because I was always going to choose between Portsmouth and Southampton. You've got to stay um, one step ahead of you in this game. No, 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 exactly. You're a smart man. Look, the more I think about it... You've been thinking about it for 15 seconds. Well, this is true. My immediate, my immediate thinking when you start asking the question was, I really hope that the answer is Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. And so when the first option came up, I thought, look, that's good. But a first option always scares me a little bit. Um, as you went through, when you got to Southampton, you thought, that's the other 
option of two, I was happy to draw a line through Eastbourne and Brighton. Mm -hmm. When I think Portsmouth, I'm really, really, and I could still be proven wrong, I'm really strident in the belief that the Titanic left Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking maybe that's what's confusing me. So with that in mind, I am going to lock in C, Southampton. You've and I'll okay. let it ride, Eddie. Okay. He's locked in C, Southampton. Your rationale was that the Titanic left from Portsmouth, so you did the old switcheroo. That's that's what I'm taking from you, uh, Timbo? That's exactly right. Yep. You got it mixed up, Tim. You're incorrect. Oh, yeah. the, the Titanic Where left did the from, Titanic go the from? The Titanic left from Southampton. Fuck me. And Arthur <laughs> Phillips' first fleet, that, of course, left from Portsmouth. So I, I, I liked, well, again, I liked your rationale, and you were in, you were kind of trending in the right Halfway through that, I was thinking, fuck, he's going to get it right again. But <laughs> Well, you're delighted that I, I got am. it wrong, but you still got the um, but you double bluffed. Uh, uh A-class response. 100%. You sort of you double bluffed yourself out of uh, the right answer there. So on the 13th of May, 1787, the fleet under the command of Captain Arthur Phillip departed Portsmouth. It was comprised, of course, of 11 vessels, two naval vessels, three store ships, six convict vessels, Containing 1,400 souls, they made the near 24,000-kilometre and 250-day trek uh, out our ways, of course, settling in Botany Bay on the 26th of January in 1788. So Great. Portsmouth was the answer there. So, Timbo, your record's still not bad, actually. It's better than I had um, anticipated, which... <laughs> and I think most importantly, the listeners are aware of why you're doing what you're doing. Yes, because it's, this, um, this is there's not, always a little bit of uh, backstory. I can't stress this enough. This isn't to make a fool of Tim, not at all. This is this is <laughs> this is to actually give the listeners a glimpse into Tim's psyche and his his mode of thinking and how he works his way through. Even then, that was actually probably as close to your actual millionaire appearance as we've gotten so far. That's exactly right. <laughs> in that your thinking was correct. You were you were happening down the right path, but you just yep. came a cropper. So anyway, very good. We do like that. So what we want to talk about now, Timbo, is the game itself, of course. We'll get into uh, yep. that. Um, just an overview, I, I suppose. Uh, hold on. I'm just trying to get my um, bloody uh, – what's it called? My uh, – iPad here to give me the old keyboard, which will be really, really handy. Oh, here it is. Excellent. Um, so I think first things first, Tim, I mean, what a wonderful opportunity for the Carlton Football Club to be involved in, you know, a rare blockbuster occasion. Um, and how wonderful was it for North Melbourne to invite us along to their big day and the day that they've built and single-handedly grown and um, for us to kind of come in, I suppose, uh, as the cherry on top of the cake. That is the Good Friday Super Clash, which of course is wholly and solely North Melbourne's child. No one else has done anything to build it, and the success is owned entirely by the North Melbourne Football Club. What a wonderful occasion for us to be involved in! They, they are a very magnanimous mob, aren't they? <laughs> Could they just I'm like it's? It's actually not. I'm not annoyed. I'm not angry. I'm actually bemused. Like, just it's it's so easy. They put an Instagram thing out or a statement, a tweet out today. You know, thanks, Kanga fans, for helping us build this. I feel like the scene in Ocean's 12 when they're Casey Affleck's thanking the entire family for coming to his engagement dinner and he gets to the end of the table and it's his brother and he just fresh airs him. 
It's like it wouldn't go astray just to say, and obviously thanks to the Carlton Football Club who got involved in all the activations this week and really helped move the clash, build the clash. You know, fantastic. You know, hopefully we can continue to grow this occasion moving forward. No, they're just trying to own it all for themselves. And anyone with a brain knows full well that it's, no. Where did the crowd come from, Tim? Predominantly the Carlton supporters. Yes. Just like when they played Essendon and there was 45 or something thousand. It's the same thing. You made yeah. the, you ballsed up however many years ago, when not this administration, but when they decided to go against teaming up with Carlton, which was the plan, and they got into bed with the Bulldogs, who had just won the flag, who they thought would deliver a big crowd, and it sort of kind of did, but didn't. And then they've finally come back to what should have been the Good Friday match from day one. Well, and realistically, early in the the um, the setup, they were more likely going to have a team that they could have competed with. Yes. Whereas now what they have, um, you know, they're an improving side and we'll give them kudos that they've started the season well and, you know, you've got to recognise that and applaud them for what they've done. But, um, yeah, the way that they've handled it the whole way through has been really, really peculiar and they, they wouldn't have won a Good Friday clash yet, would they? I, I'm not sure, actually. Not off the top of my head. I mean, I think, as you said, they've come up against a pretty strong bulldog side in the time since that they've um, it, since its inception. So, um, and, and clearly, there was the one night where they got beaten by a hundred plus when um, old mate Josh Bruce kicked ten. So, um, yeah, it Saints. hasn't been a happy hunting ground. They played the Saints in one of them as well. Yeah, okay. and, and it's like yep. just as I said, not not angry, not bitter, but it's like it's just a, a bemusing that. No one in the Correct. footy media has gone, why are we indulging this? You drew a good crowd because you were playing a traditionally well-supported team who themselves are in decent form um, and with a fan base probably tasting, you know, got the a win. You guys have started the season okay and, and your fans, you know, clearly given the way they've reacted in the aftermath, were, thought they were nailed on to win the game. Um, and we just took their God-given right away from them. But... Just, just saying, yeah, look, fantastic. Thanks so much to the Carlton Football Club and, and their help in building this and, and delivering what was a really successful day. Well, and, and I think because it's been a good day and Carlton's been there, the risk is North may lose it if they don't come to the party. But to, to, to talk about ownership and all that sort of stuff, I mean, shit, they could have only been doing it for, what, four years. I mean, it's hardly like they've been doing this for four decades and this is our first trip along and, you know, and... In that case, it could be. Oh, no. Oh, no, Timbo, we've lost you again. Why? Oh, here you go. You're back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. But, uh, again, just in closing on this, like if I was Carlton, I'd be half a mind to next, you know, obviously in the wash-ups of the success of this match, I'd be half a mind to go to the AFL and say, so it's our home game next year, yeah? And do we choose? Just go, no, no, but go, we'll play North Melbourne, but it's our home game. You know, North yeah, Home. Okay. Just yep. go North Home. Yeah, I'd like, like be a bit of a smart ass and go, fantastic, great occasion. Really looking forward to being involved again. It's our home game next year, yeah? And for them to go, I, oh, oh, well, no, 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 it's, it's North Home going, oh, is it just, well, what's in it for us? Well, well, exactly right. Because as you say, I mean, otherwise it's just a glorified handout, isn't it? Exactly right. Um, we want to just touch base briefly. I'm sure it'll come up maybe later, but I thought we'd um, get ahead of it now. Uh, Harry Mackay, of course, was issued a one-game suspension by the MRO, Timbo Slice. Um, and I don't want to spend too long on this, but I thought we had to 
talk about it. You know, the club will almost certainly appeal it before tomorrow, being Monday's 11 a.m. deadline. Look, this is just simply the AFL in 2023. This was it was silly by Harry. It was unnecessary, but unfortunately, we live in now an AFL climate where they've got a very serious, very public, very costly class action coming their way regarding concussion. They need to be seen to be strong on head contact and the like, which is why you know people were posting snippets from the tribunal MRO guidelines yesterday, and you read it, and it's a it's a laugh because it's the most malleable, most um, ridiculous set of words you've ever seen. Basically, like any rule in the AFL these days, anything can be justified. Correct. So they obviously want to be seen to be hard on head knocks. They want to be seen to be hard on concussion because they're going to end up probably forking out an extraordinary sum of money as a result of this class action. They want to be front, uh, be able to front up to a court of law and say, this is what we're doing. This is how serious we are about it. Um, and unfortunately for us, Harry... You know, Cripps last year was a victim of that mentality. Um, Harry's yep. a victim of it at the moment. There's been other examples, of course, with sling tackles and high contacts. But there's no way in a fair, reasonable, sensible climate that that constitutes medium impact. Well, and, and that's clearly going to be um, the take of our appeal, um, especially given that when, when you look at the, the contact it slides up off the shoulder in the first instance. Um, our friend of the pod, John Ralph, just before on the tally was saying that, um, that they will also argue it's more likely to have been a fend than a strike, and that will be part of uh, their reasoning behind appealing. Um, and I, I forget the name of the fella from Gold Coast. Oh, how he, bad did that look? He, th- he threw the elbow and got it. got a bloke in the head. And, and the AFL Tribunal accepted that that was low impact. And now Sheasel continued to play on and racked up his um, extremely damaging 37 possessions for the game <laughs> um, and, um, and, um, and, and never spent any time off the ground, certainly didn't do an HIA. So, you know, the risk of, you know, they'll always say an action like that could do more damage the and therefore the, the potential of it is what's going to see it as being medium. But equally, I think you're going into gather round for the first time. Uh, we've not done this before. Adelaide's hosting. Your first game of the week is Adelaide Carlton. You want your best players playing. So if you can if you can manufacture an outcome where Harry Mackay is still penalised and deterred from doing what he's doing, you call it low, he gets fined, he gets to play you get your best players on show for the first game in Gather Round. I think it's win-win-win for everybody. I, I just, um, I, no, I agree with what you're saying completely. I, I think that you, you read that those guidelines now and you just laugh because you just go, no, well, you actually don't have hard and fast um, measures or triggers for low, for medium, for high. It's just whatever you need the punishment to right. be in your little box that you're checking. Because you think about it, Zach Williams was graded as medium for his hit on Hunter Clark in the preseason game, however long ago it was. That's right. He's left yep. the ground in a more violent action. Hunter Clark got up, was unaffected, played on, played the next week, etc. That was graded as medium. That was far more forceful than Mackay's. 100%. So we're starting to unfortunately now get a litany of examples of just inconsistencies in, well, geez, if that's medium, what's this? If that's yeah. If this is low then why is that meat, et cetera. So it's a, it's a dog's breakfast, unfortunately, but it's the, um, 
It's the dog breakfast that the it's AFL the world, has made. It's the world we live in. That's it's it. the world we currently live in. And, and, and I, I think he should get off, but I have no faith in that the system will support Harry Mackay. No. Um, and realistically, when you're late in the game, you know, it was final quarter. Final quarter or was it the yeah, third, final, actually? Yeah. No, because the ball was going, that was final quarter. Don't be doing that sort of shit in the No, last and, and just so people are clear, it was an unnecessary act. He didn't need to put himself in the position to be at the mercy of this kangaroo yep. court. Uh, pardon the pun. Um, so the state of play ultimately, uh, at the as, as current, I suppose, at the final siren, we sat on top of the ladder, but at the end of the round, we'll sit in the top four, which is a nice place to be, Timbo, but... It is also where we should be, given the month we've had to start the season from a fixture point of view, how that's shaken out. We've played some beatable sides and, no disrespect to North Melbourne, they're a developing team who we should be expecting to beat. So we touched on it last week. The next evolution for us as a club, coaches, players, staff, fans, it's to shed this happy-to-win mentality and actually want for more. Is that a fair... Absolutely. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Like we've we've graduated from being the side that if we play our best footy, we can compete with most sides. We are now in the position where if we front up and we play an average size side, we just win. Like we we can't drop games um, that we are entitled to um, be comfortably over the line in. Um, we weren't to know going into the season that Richmond had fallen away as much as they had. We certainly weren't entitled to anticipate that Geelong were an average side to start and phenomenally vulnerable. Um, so, as you say, three and a half from four is a great return. As we've always said, it probably should be four from four. Um, we are where we should be, but we're not convincing in – we're not so much not, not convincing in being there because I think we're justified in being there but we want to be winning and controlling games with a lot more authority than what we have today. I, I think is probably the stance that most Carlton supporters would have. A hundred percent. And look, I cop flack <clears throat> for being negative and cynical uh, a fair bit of the time, but it's because I'm not satisfied just picking off bottom six to eight teams. Like I, I want to actually we, see us contending. We, we're a seriously improved football team. You know, you, like you mentioned it before and it's like you, you roll into games like this and it's, the expectation is to win, and in the past it was, oh, look, we're an inconsistent developing team. Unfortunately, we're going to have days like this where it doesn't click for us or it doesn't work for us. And you go, well, now we're at the stage of our evolution or maturation as a football team where, no, that can't be accepted or excused, fronting up and, and losing a game like Friday night. So, like, as I said, I want to see us playing in a manner and with a method that leaves us confident that when we get to the pointy end of a season or when we front up against good teams and next uh, Thursday night's a really good test for us, Adelaide are playing good football in good form and have weapons to hurt, I want to be playing a style of football that has us confident we can handle it. Absolutely. And and look, what stepping ahead, you know, Adelaide are a dangerous team and they're playing a fast, risky, um, skillful brand of football, um, which... Our defence probably hasn't been tested against. Maybe, maybe against GWS they were because they wanted to move the ball fast. Um, potentially against Richmond, they try and do it with a bit more chaos. Um, but North North were so adamant they wanted to maintain their tall structure up forward, which played into our hands. 
So Thursday is going to be interesting to just to know that they're going to try and move the move the ball fast and be very attacking from any point on the ground. Our defence, which has clearly been our one wood this season, how they will handle that on Thursday, <coughs> I'm genuinely fascinated by. Yeah, and, and I suppose ultimately for us, out of Friday's game, we played in such a way, a manner you would like to see us play. We played that way for about 20 minutes. Yeah. So the pro to the con is that 20 minutes was good enough to end the game as a contest and sort of stamp ourselves on the contest, which was, you know, a positive in itself. And is that good? You go, yeah, it's good. Is it good enough? You know, well, probably not. No, we, we need more. So Not for the rest of the season. Exactly. Yeah. Not. And, 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 and I might steal a little bit of your thunder oh, here, no. Sean. Oh, dear. We were beaten by North Melbourne for effort, intensity, application the intangible early in the contest yeah they they it was their day yeah as you said they came out wanting to defend their patch and all that sort of stuff and again credit to them they came with an attitude that reflected um the gravity of the day and good on them we all know how burnt we were by when we didn't front up against adelaide in adelaide when we played them last year it's gather round Adelaide's hosting the uh, hosting it all. They're hosting the first game. They're going to be on show a little bit. We need to come out and match that intensity. And if we don't, exactly the same thing will happen as what happened last year. Hundred percent. So the Carlton Project on Twitter actually sent us a great tweet. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the Friday, sort of just after the game, or yesterday. Um, but I thought they hit the nail on the head. They just said the season effectively starts now. So we're 14 from 16 points, and that's a pass. Now we need to shift gears. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the one that I want. And I don't think Adelaide are at the level that Fremantle were last year. Or Sydney, maybe. Fremantle made, yeah, Fremantle made significant changes to the way that they played last season and came out and really caught the competition on the hop. Um, and and I feel like Adelaide's kind of doing that, albeit there's still a two-and-two two side. But there's something about the way that they're playing that you kind of like, and you're going, okay, well, we just need to match this. So I'll be, I'll be interested. I agree to that. Oh, Timbo, it's a 90s banger. Oh, what a classic. <laughs> what a classic, Timbo. That's one of the great 90s. Sort of, um, it's not even a lyric. I don't even know what to refer to it as. But uh, Shania, what a tune! Oh, that's a that is a classic track. And why did we play it, Timbo? Because the blues are back, baby. Oh, what a tune! I wonder whether Shania is the Carlton supporter. I wonder if Shania is listening. If you're listening, Shania, give us a shout out. Reach out to us. We'll, uh, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. I sort of it's funny because she was sort of that and they, they, they come and go, don't they? But she was in that right in the groove where like that's a pop song and that's why it had worldwide radio play and whatever and you know, big video numbers and the like. It was on video hits for months at a time. Um, but it's also like that really fun kind of quasi hybrid because she was a country star who does this pop yeah. song. So it's sort of got that fun country roots. Like I'm, I really like the killers, but I really like when the killers do like fun country songs. They do yeah. like Brandon Flowers solo albums, got one called digging up the heart. And you're like, it's a, it's just a country song, 
but it's kind of filtered through their or his sound in this case. It was a solo album. And the Killers have got lots of examples of it, but you're like, I don't know. I sort of like it when they do that, but because it's not quite full on like bloody Carl. What's his name? Keith Urban. Yes. Yep. Where all of his songs sound exactly the same and he sells millions and millions of records somehow. Well, there's, there's a, I mean, they have a whole channel dedicated to it on uh, on Foxtel, so obviously it has its audience, doesn't it? Mate, so, mate. massive. The, the Rust Belt over in the US. Love it. Um, I've got the heading here. Um, Punch Trunk Love is one of my headings to have a chat about the game. And we're going to get into this, this topic, and then I've got two further headings because um, the only way to really unpack the game is first half, second half, because it was yep. almost two completely different games. But... Watching the first half, which was entirely in keeping with what we'd seen um, in spells of every match for this season, I had the thought and I turned to Dad and I said, we're the boxer who's happy for every result to go to the judges. Yeah. We won't want to risk getting knocked out ourselves because if we play a little bit more expansive and take a few more risks and open ourselves up, throw a few more punches, well, that means that we're going to be more likely to get hit ourselves. And I suppose what's frustrating about that, uh, Timbo, is that when we actually put our foot down on Friday night and we put some pace on the game, we look so much more comfortable. We look so much more like us. So the question for you here, I suppose, is twofold, is if we are prepared to throw some punches against a team like North, who are we prepared to do it against? That's It's a fascinating question because last season... And I, and I think we talked about last week as well. You know, we, we started our season at eight and two or whatever it was, and we were the highest scoring team in the comp. And through an, an evolution and and due to the experiences in games and a little bit of our history, and we said it last week, we've overcorrected a little bit to the defensive side. And and I, I wrote the note of it being talking about um, pace of attack. And, and we want to be more controlled in our pace at the moment, which can be kind of frustrating to watch when we are on the slower side, um, but so excited when, when we do it fast as well. So I, I don't know what the catalyst is going to be. I don't know if it's an in-game call, a little bit like a, a basketball coach on the sidelines that's saying we want to up our defence and try and cause turnover with a bit of a full-court press or we're coming back to a zone and we're slowing it down and all that sort of stuff. But it does seem that there's a lever to pull to try and open the game up and and we need to be prepared to do it more, but it'll be interesting to see as the season progresses the preparedness to do it. And, and if we are prepared to do it, where does it start from? You know, at, at times on on Friday, it was the Mitch McGovern kick that would take the game on. Um, Sardi, we know, can often run and carry and open the game up. Even Jacob Weering's kicks from deep in defence can often uh, open us up very, very quickly as well. I thought the second half, Zach Fisher seemed to be a connector between the midfield and forward. And, and ironically, our best form of attack invariably at the moment is when Harry or Charlie leads up onto the wing, they get the ball and then kick it to their twin tower partner down the other end, the other Kraken, um, and that seems to make us look like a better team as well. So when it's there, it's awesome, but how often will we go to it and how successful will we be when we do it is probably our next two months of footy. Very well said. And I've got the note here that 
we aren't a patient, meticulous team. It's like it's just not in this group's DNA. Like, if we were a boxer, we're a brawler. We're, we're not a, a student. We have been, yeah, we're, absolutely. We're, we're, our, at our best, we're not a student of the sweet science and dancing around the ring. It's like, no, no, we want to kind of get in there and Tyson at his pomp. We sort of end it early. You've got the weapons to go, go and do it. Like, I had the thing here. Got big bodies at clearance. We've got twin towers in attack. Play fast. Get it in. Give them an opportunity. We're trying to be Mozart when we're actually Metallica. <laughs> I like it. But it's it's like, we're, like it we're, we're trying to be classical and classy and whatever. And you're like, no, you're not. That's that's just not who you are. Like we've we've spoken about it in the past. I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there was that great bit in the WWF where Steve Austin came out and he was wearing a suit and a tie and he was he was trying to be a respectable champion. And the gag was, that's not him. No. That's the gag. We're, we're having him. It's just sort of silly. So I suppose you're flowing on from that style of play, method of play, ball movement, pace on the game. The question I've got for you here is that you could make an argument, and I'm prepared to indulge this as an argument. Time will tell. Maybe we're trying to add that slower ball movement, gear down aspect to our game, and maybe we're using in-game scenarios to road test it. And maybe we're seeing a match against North Melbourne as a better chance to road test it than a match against Geelong or a match against Sydney or whoever it might be. We want to play this style of football knowing that if we need to flick the switch, we can, which we did. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But maybe the attitude is we want to have this in our kit bag if we need it late in the year to slow things down. There's only so many times you can train it. There's only so many times you can do – 16 on 16 at training, depending on the numbers you have, are we maybe just trying to do it during a game? Well, it would make sense that we would be because if your starting point is restraint, um, but, you know, the you're always going to train unshackled because you're always going to be playing without that same level of pressure that the opposition's going to give. And fatigue. But when you can get out, you, yeah, and you get the overlap and you can move it fast and all that sort of stuff. We're going to practice that. So when it comes off, it's got, it's always going to look good. It's just when will your opportunity – when will your opposition give you the look that allows you to go faster and take corridor and move it quick and take the risky kick and all that sort of stuff. So that's that's the they're, – they're the fine lines that we're operating within at the moment. And clearly, I think as you said, we know the gear is there but we don't want to come out and say our brand is pure attack. You know, the, the Port Adelaide days of, you know, 10 years ago when Ken Hinckley first came in and it was just go on the 45, switch the play, take the corridor um, and, and do it almost, you know, uh, as, your, um, as your fallback is just take on the hardest kick possible and just live and die by the sword. We don't want to be that team because that team um, – you know, like what we sort of said on, on Friday night. Oh, no, it was it was Thursday night, wasn't it, when we were talking about Collingwood and the 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 45 handball and the attack, attack, attack. It, it, it's taken so long for a side to really try and put Collingwood to the sword because the game style they play just opens themselves up so much, but they just seem to be getting away with it. This time of Brisbane absolutely butchered them when they got the opportunity and took every opportunity and legitimately spanked that side, and it proves... Pure attack won't work, but we need to pull away from the pure restraint to, to add more attack more often than what we've showed at the moment. And as you say, now might be just the practice of here we control the game, 
but at what opportunities can we increase the pace? Um, Fab's text about Collingwood dried up pretty quickly when they well, when they got to about three or four in a row, and then when it got to ten in a row, um, he, he was awfully stum on the matter. It's fair to say. I did post the tweet on Twitter. And... <laughs> well, he started sending these distracting email text messages about something entirely unrelated. So, like, now let's get back on. Yeah, point let's talk about, about this. Collingwood getting slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You don't get to change the topic that you brought up in this chat by sending your first frightened Correct. text to the email at two goals to one. Yeah, he barely the game had barely breathed, and he was already you know rash and, and fretting about it. He's he needs to get a hold of himself. Um, but just closing off on that, it does feel a bit like when we play the slower tempo, Timbo, we're actually we're playing a style of football that regularly asks our defenders to be our best players if we want to win the game, which is is dangerous. Yep. And we're also kind of implicitly telling good teams that if we're going to play that way, ten or eleven goals might beat us. Yeah. So like a Ross Lyon, you're telling a guy like Ross Lyon who doesn't want a 15-goal game, contrary to what the Saints are doing at the moment, which is impressive in its own right and good on him, but we're sort of saying to him, yeah, we're, we're prepared to lock this one up as well. Um, we're prepared to go to that that string you know, in our bow and make this a low-scoring slugfest, um, which is, I suppose, the next question I've got for you. I think that Michael Voss is an AFL-caliber coach. Um, I yep. think that's something that can't be said for the two guys that preceded him. But like all new coaches do, when they come into the gig and they make the obvious adjustments and they wring the obvious improvements out of the team that everyone could see bar the previous um, regime, which is just regime. extraordinary when it does happen. The next challenge for him is to wring the last, not the last, but the next couple of percentage points. If you think when he comes into the job last year, and like turning on a light, he can make 20% improvement very quickly. Well, now we're at that scratching and clawing for ones. We're scratching and clawing for just a little bit of extra improvement, and the difference between us being that middle-of-the-road team and being a contender is can Michael Voss and his assistants ring those little one percenters out of the group You know, in the next six months, moving forward beyond that again, because I just feel like at the moment we're playing a style of football that does make us a little bit vulnerable. Oh, look, I think you're right. Um, to counter it ever so slightly, I think every great team is invariably built on a really, really strong defence. Mm-hmm. So if we all recognise that the platform that we're launching from, you know, that our season starts this Thursday night, the platform that we're launching from is having if not an AFL-leading defence, certainly one of the top four defences in the competition. And I'm completely comfortable with labelling us as that. But as you say, you can't only be that. You have to be more. Clearly, we have weapons. It's just about making, you know, allowing us to be able to play footy on our terms, play to our strengths. And as you say, we can restrict an opposition, but with the power, scoring power that we have, if we can put a put a game where other teams can't get at us, we should be on the right side of the ledger more often than not. And 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 then you can factor in: did we have a good day? Did we have a bad day? Opposition, same sort of thing. You know, if if, if a result is going to teeter on who takes the ascendancy at the right time, there may be games that we lose. But if we can be doing more right than wrong, we can still have a bad day and win. Mm. And, and and I I feel like we're progressively tracking towards that point. 
but you've just got to see it more and more and more. Absolutely. So, like I said, we're going to break up the discussion about the match itself into first half, second half. So we'll do the first half first. That makes sense. Um, geez, that that first sort of hour, if you will, bloody hell, it was an excruciating slog at times just to, to watch timid in possession, ponderous, just conservative ball movement, just totally against type for way too long. And the note I've got here, the heading for our first sort of topic in this first half is favourable matchups, problematic patterns and tempo. So even with the favourable matchups we had forward of the ball and the tandem of Harry and Charlie were fine in the first half but got better the game the longer the game went, we just didn't play a style of football, pattern of play and a tempo of football that could tease the best out of them to really take the game away from North like they did eventually. Mate. Go out fast. Go out hard. Look at that. what they've got in that back six and be confident that what's ended up happening was going to happen. They're going to get handsy. They're going to get panicked. You've got to isolate them. You've got to win free kicks. That's just the way football works. And again, it was one of those things we spoke about last week about doing a ground walk or doing whatever. If I'm a forwards coach, I'm going to the midfield guy and going, give, it, give the boys really just quick looks early. Get it in. Yeah. We'll try to separate. We'll try to isolate. Let's put Core, let's put Bonner, let's put Zebel under heaps of pressure. Yeah. Because that creates a pattern. If it's this is happening in minute one, how are you going to handle it for the next 100 minutes? And, and, and maybe it was that North were able to be stronger at the contest early, set up better coming out of our defence when the ball had been in there a lot more than what we wanted it to be. The fact that when we were trying to carry and move the ball – the ball carrier was under pressure a lot more. We were also unclean, whether that was because of that pressure or just we just weren't playing well. But it was just a combination of things that we weren't really permitted to play our best style of footy a lot. But you're right, you know, the side that we played, if you if you can get asking the questions sooner than what we did, geez, you can t- you can change the um, the pattern of the game very very quickly and. and Obviously, we're going to talk more about the second half later, um, but it, it really was one of those games of, well, who's going to be the fire starter? Who, who's going to get things moving? Who's going to be able to um, start getting the game back on our terms? Because um, we were second to the ball so much in that first half. I think the frustrating thing too about the tempo side of things was they were playing a far more cavalier and effective style of football. Like, the better option was right there in front of us so much so it was actually being used against us. And we were better suited to be playing that style of football. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could have changed the personnel around with the the game styles that were being played, it would have been an absolute goal fest for us. Um, And and, and that's the thing. I I really give credit North... um, credit North for the way that they played because they should have had us under more scoreboard pressure than we were because they were taking the game on in exactly the right way and 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 it was a couple of missed shots, a bit of pressure here and there. The fact that Larky was on one one leg from very, very early in the game. Fucking um, yeah, who cares? But yeah, just up 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 just upset the apple cart a little bit. But we we should have been under more pressure on the scoreboard than what we were. But we hung in, hung in, hung in, and thank God that we did. But you kind of knew at some point it had to change. 
Um, but it was a tough watch for 60 minutes of footy, no doubt. So in terms of the mindset and psychology, you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, you just teased and touched on it um, not a couple of minutes ago. I'd love to know what goes on in this space. We've got old Redbeard Greavesy, which we've spoken about in the past. And it, look, it's probably all of these things. It's probably to benefit or cater for individuals. It's probably uh, there's a leadership portion of, of, of what he's doing in the program that he's running down there, which is just effectively for our leaders. There's probably some younger developing leaders stuff as well. There's probably some collective stuff, etc. Well, I certainly hope there's all of that. But I'd love to know because the frustration for me watching that first half is you touched on it. We should have been prepared for what North served up. Big day for them. It's their biggest match of the year. They love being the underdog. They love playing on emotion. They love being, you know, oh, written off. They can't win this. No, this is a Carlton going to turn up and win this game. They love that stuff. And the media knows it, so the media feeds that because they want to make sure that Clarko's got something to tell them and he's probably happy for that narrative to be out there so he can tell them, just like Pagan used to be even when they were a really good side. It was always the same thing. They would have really rated their chances of knocking us off. So be ready for it. Be ready for their energy. Be ready for their application because you know it's going to be real good real early. You know it's going to be really, really sharp. Maybe for 10 minutes, maybe for 20 minutes, but you know it's going to be really, really sharp. So... I just felt, Tim, that the longer the match went, the longer we indulged that, the longer we enabled that and we emboldened that positivity they had, it just became harder for us to shake them. And we just felt like, boys, come on. We know what they're going to serve up here. And, and I agree with you, but in, in, a, in a roundabout kind of way, the longer it went and their inability to be able to put the score on us, you kind of thought, you can't maintain this, you know, ascendancy for want of a better word, for four quarters, and so therefore, if you're not making hay now, you are going to fall away. But our game plan can't be let's just wait till they drop off, no. and then we'll start having a crack. We we have to be more active in our ability to be able to push an op an opposition, and you, you always watched it, and and you knew when. When we were positive and we were playing the way we wanted to, you, we just had that look of a side that was better than our opposition. And, and again, that might be just our own navy blue bias, but it just sort of felt like you thought, if we get to play the way that we want to, we've got, we've got these blokes and we've got them dead set comfortably. But it's like, when, when do we start stringing a few together? When is this going to happen? Um, but, yeah, we, we shouldn't have even given them the looks that they got. I just felt like, in the end, we actually sent them to halftime with a little bit of belief. Yeah. Um, whereas if we come out bull at a gate, they're begging for halftime. They're begging yeah. for the siren. And, and last year's game was very similar to that in that they worked, worked, worked. Um, halftime, it was pretty even. And then there was that... A uh, hundred metre penalty against Nick Larkey last year when hmm. he, he tunnelled, um, tunnelled uh, Lewis, Lewis Young, Young yep. and and Weering kicked the goal. That was very much a turning point, um, but but we absolutely gapped them in the second half. So the group probably sort of thought we've kind of seen this before, and let's make sure we do what we did last year. But again, why why repeat the same chapter? As yeah. you've said, put a bit more pressure on early. Start getting them looking over their shoulders sooner um, and know that they're going to be in for a tougher afternoon. Did it look a little bit like 
we were trying to kind of take the sting out of the day a little bit, try to take the sting out of the crowd maybe, play at that slower tempo. We sort of touched on that earlier. But it just felt like, well, if that's what we were trying to do, it kind of didn't really work. And then more than that, it almost took the sting out of us personally. It's it's funny. I, I, I don't know if we would orchestrate a game style. I mean, we talked about round one, how from the very, very outset, we looked to go slow, slow, control, controlled against Richmond. And then we all said, oh, the next night Geelong played Collingwood. It was such a better brand of footy because it was fast attacking. And and that just comes back to this is what people want to watch. Mm. So they immediately said Richmond and Carlton aren't as good as Geelong and Collingwood. And you're going, that actually doesn't make any sense. You know, yes, there's scoring power. Yes, you know, it's exciting to watch. But that's not how games get judged. Um, and you've got to see game style against game style. So I, I do think maybe within the group, look, I think there would have always been a discussion of we want to break these guys down as early as possible. We don't want the crowd to get involved. We don't want them to get their tails up. I think that was always going to be an attitude, but I do still feel like we indulged them for too long relative to when our, our good footy kicked in it's like, well, we've got to just do that sooner and mm. kill them off and break them and, and, and just not even give them a sniff. You know, in an 18-team competition, there is always going to be half a dozen sides that are going to come up against a good team and they're just not going to be able to match them. And we've just got to let oppositions like North Melbourne know sooner, this isn't your game. You're actually not involved in this. We will put you away when we're ready. I just want us to do it sooner. What did Jack Parkman tell Rue Baker? There's a train on the tracks. You're standing in the way. Um, that was in Major <laughs> League Two. It was it you're standing on the tracks and there's a train coming through? It was something to that effect. Anyway, um, I like it. One of the great, like one it. of the one of the underrated villains of that era, Jack Parkman. Really, really good. Looks a little bit like Bryce Gibbs. Um, just closing that off. Was it Keith David or David Keith? I think it's uh, David Keith. Keith David's a black man, and then David Keith is. Jack Parkman. Um, <laughs> like Clint Black and... Uh, <laughs> it's like, who decided this? Barry White. It's like, who decided this in Hollywood? It's like, God damn it. Why have we come to this? Um, just closing that off, you, I think you, you spoke very well. Voss said something post-match to the effect of he didn't like the way that we finished the game. That was his quote. The problem was, I thought, how we started the game. I think the finish for me was, to be fair, I think we'd spent a lot of petrol tickets in that third quarter and early part of the fourth to put that six-goal run together and gap them and ultimately win the game. The problem was the slow and sluggish start. Like, the end was the end, and that's fine. We'd done enough in the previous sort of 30-odd minutes to win the game. But I just thought that was an interesting perspective where it was like, nah, mate, the problem was the first. The problem was the way we came out of the, the gates, not so much how we finished the game. Like, I think... It was a bit back to front. Um, and, and maybe that's a bit of recency bias when you get into a press conference as well. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, all, we always know that some of the questions that you're getting from journos aren't necessarily the most incisive immediately after the game. You know, some of the better, some of the better introspection comes from the Kingies and all these sorts of guys, you know, 24 and 48 hours after the piece once they've had to be able to digest it. Um, and so the obvious question coming in, I reckon, from the journo is, look, you had a good day, you got well in front, you built a bit of percentage, you gave a fair bit back, what do you think, Bossy? So I just sort of think maybe that was just, yeah. uh, you know, well, well, one of the, the simple journo questions um, and justified in asking, 
But, yeah, I, I agree. I think our ability to be able to match it with an opposition early is still more important than how we close out our last eight and ten minutes if, if, the, if the game's dead. 100%. Uh, if you indulge me here, Timbo, something that really rankled me on Friday afternoon into Friday evening was just the conversation in the Carlton community at halftime. So just to anyone out there, you don't have to tweet us whenever, whenever Lockie O'Brien isn't playing well. Like, you don't – I can see the game. He wasn't playing well. You know who else wasn't playing well? About 20 of his mates. Yeah. So yeah. I think we just need to be a bit better than the scapegoating. And I had the note – I think they put the thing on Twitter because Fab was losing his rag in the fucking text message we've got. And he went on Twitter and had a crack as well. So Lockie O'Brien wasn't playing well. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't playing well. He wasn't contributing. He hadn't had many meaningful impacts on the game. No problems there. But the chatter at halftime to me reeked of a fan base lamenting and scapegoating and just completely overlooking what was actually happening right in front of our eyes. We weren't in the position we were at halftime because of Josh Honey or Lockie O'Brien not playing well. We weren't in that position. I had the note here. I think I've used this before on the podcast. Um, the, the story of the 20th Century Fox people visiting the Star Wars set and the, the production's running over budget, over time. The film, no one knows what it is. No one knows, geez, is this thing any good? What is this movie we're making? We've spent some money now. We're spending more money. And the, the guys turn up, the big wigs from Hollywood turn up at, in London and go, should the Wookiee be wearing pants? <laughs> like, like that's their only constructive observation. Take. And yeah. you're sort of going, that's... What the fuck are you talking about? Like that's not even yeah. number that's not even in the top twenty priorities that we've got to talk about with regard to this movie. And it's I sat there at halftime and watching people go in on Lockie, go in on Josh Honey, etc. And I thought, no, the talk needs to be about how poorly and slowly we're moving the ball, our overall method, our mids getting killed at stoppage, our contest work being below par, our pressure smalls being ineffective. Going Absolutely. They're all so far ahead of How's Lockie O'Brien contributing? How's Josh Honey contributing? How's Jack Silvani contributing? And guess what happened, Timbo, yeah. when we started playing a more effective brand of football in the second half? The, they, they were able to then contribute that little bit more too. The rising tide lifted all boats. Like, it's just the most frustrating <laughs> thing in the world. As I said, Lockie O'Brien, Josh Honey, you can name them. They weren't alone. There was others as well. They did not play well in the first half. You know, not a problem and, in the and world. I think those style of footballers too, Sean, they're going to have good days, they're going to have bad days, but but they are very, very rarely going to be, not even so much the SI Morales, but they're not going to be the guy that turns the tide that starts things for us. You know, that's, that's generally not the way football gets played. There will be instances where the tone is set and and it'll and a lot of the time it's your better players, you yeah. know. Uh, it was even it was a little thing, but if you watch the Richmond Western Bulldogs game when the Bulldogs kicked the goal, uh, sorry Richmond kicked the goal to get within five points with forty seconds to go, and then there was a centre clearance, and you thought this centre clearance is massive. Now, without even watching the game, Western Bulldogs are trying to defend the lead. Who's most likely going to get the clearance well, when the game is on the line? Bontempelli is going to get the ball. You know, if, if it's the dogs, it's probably going to be Bont. It could be Libba. But at the end of the day, it went straight down Bont and Pelly's throat and he cleared the ball and you kind of thought, well, that's the game. And you've gone, that's what happens. That's what so he's there to do. To, yeah, and, and to anticipate that when a game is on the line, 
and things need to change, that Lockie O'Brien is going to stand head and shoulders above everybody and put his stamp on the game and saying, don't worry, Blues, we've got this. If he was that player, there wouldn't be the chatter that backs it because he's a better player than what he is. We know what we've got with Lockie, but what we've always said is what Lockie brings is a couple of strengths that if we can utilise it, he will be a valuable player. He didn't get to play the game that he needed to. There was a couple of um, kicks that he should have made that he didn't. His general effort and his physicality and his intensity, they were down. Lockie probably needs a spell in the twos to better work on that. And, and, And as it is, there's three big names that are coming back into the side and somebody has to make way. Well, it's starting to get pretty obvious as to who those players might be. This is Tim. This is the idea. If someone goes past Lockie O'Brien, you go, no problems at all. If someone goes, if it's Jackson Bins, I don't, if it's someone, perfect. Yeah, that's fine. If somebody goes past Sam Walsh, beauty. You're beauty. You know, yeah. So no one's, I'm not sitting here defending Lockie O'Brien every single week or the like, but I just wanted to make the point that I think we just need to be a little bit more forward thinking as a fan base when we have the conversation around poor performances than just it's player A's fault, it's player B's fault, particularly when the roles they play in the team aren't going to be super high impact as it is. Well, I think that's just the nature of the whipping boy because they're just a soft target. And and you're going, look, I I get it. I get it. And you're going, you guys do you. We'll focus on what happens to try and win the game. And it doesn't mean we're better Carlton supporters than you are or no, anything no, like no, no. that whatsoever. But as you sort of say, it's a soft target and it's... it's we sort of it's just, just want to encourage uh, encourage a better class of conversation maybe or that, that sort Absolutely. of move, moves beyond just scapegoating players. Oh, Timbo, there's another, it's another 90s banger. Turn all of the lights on over everybody. It's a bit of semi-sonic. That's a bit of semi-sonic. This is a classic 90s sound, this sort of quasi-acoustic, quasi but sort of not quite. This is a very 90s guitar. This is um, one of my wife Elise's favourite songs ever. What did Semisonic do apart from this song? Not <laughs> Nothing. They have written one more better song, than, a good song than you and I. Oh, what a tune. But it is a dead set banger. Classic 90s sound. Sort of, actually, even, I'm going to say it, it's it's a little bit Weezer-y as well. You can sort of see, you can hear the influence. And why did we play that, Tim? Because the Blues are back, baby. Yes, that is 100% why we played the tune. Uh, excellent. So we'll talk about the second half now, which was obviously a lot better. Um, a poor first half begat a decent test of metal in the second, and the Roos would have known, I think, after halftime that a good third quarter could potentially set them up to win the game. So it was pleasing in the end that it was us who came out and actually put that performance together and gapped them and ended the game, which was great. I had the note here, and I didn't want to burn it on the text. You might remember on Thursday I said I came up with a a framing device that I was very happy with um, as I was sitting there watching us play a faster tempo game of footy, get the ball into Harry and Charlie, score more readily, score more quickly, gear up, as they say, in the game at the moment. Do you remember what Chuck Daly said about coaching Dennis Rodman? I have seen him interviewed a few times. Um, I think it was in the Bad Boys doco. 
Well, they. I know at one point they always talked about one of the worst things about Dennis Rodman is he'd take his shoes off when he'd take him off the ground. And so in the end he'd say, I just played him for 48 minutes. But I, I don't know what your analogy is going to be. So he said you don't put a saddle on a Mustang. Yeah, yeah. So yep. we spoke about playing a style that best suits us, about being the boxer who wants the contest to go to points. But that was the quote ringing in my ears as we watched the second half unfold was you don't put a saddle on a Mustang. Yep. That's yep. not who we are. We're a faster ball movement team. We're a more attacking team. I, I just thought when we came out and played with more urgency, more intent, more energy, it reaped dividends and we were rewarded. Surely, like me, Tim, you watched the third quarter and thought, that's us. For better or worse, Oh, totally. that's us. It, it, I, I won't even go as far as saying it was putting a smile on my face. But as I saw us move the ball fast, push it wider, be expansive, use the corridor when the opportunity was there, utilise the wings that were moving and all that sort of stuff and get it inside 50 fast. It was like there was this knowing nod of, yeah, you're right. It it was, this is us. This is our brand of football. This is what I come to expect. Um, and, 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 you know, we've talked about the panic that ensued from um, ensued from um, North Melbourne's defence. Um, we just put them under pressure, and and we were pretty relentless. Um, so to be able to st- see that Carlton style and, and and what we definitely want to see more of um, when it's there, um, we're worthwhile watching. The next heading I've got is give pace a chance, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to North, but we spoke about it a bit more, you know, off the top, but. Per the current cycle or tide of the footy industry, we're just a better and more capable side than they are as of right now. That will change in in time. That will change. At some point, they will go back past us and we will regress and then we'll go back past them whenever. That's how it works. So play the game faster than they can play it. Like I've got the note here that good football teams, like soccer teams particularly, are a great example of this. When they play an inferior side, they just ratchet the tempo up and they play it faster than their opponent can play it because that creates fatigue, it creates error, puts them under the pump. Once we started doing that, you went, yes, thank you. Yeah. Just, I just... Yeah, they, oh. they just couldn't, they couldn't go with us when we started playing our style. Um, and I guess the thing that was most, well, not most disappointing, but within it all, we just started hammering them and we created opportunity after opportunity and, at times, we were a little bit wasteful. There was one, Harry had a kick around the corner that he he, he, he stuffed up. There was um, definitely one late that um, he he left on the table. And um, we were, geez, we were pushing, pushing, pushing. And we, we put it on the scoreboard and we were doing very well. But there would have been half a dozen goals that didn't get um, didn't get executed when they should have been. And, and, and when we got to eight goals up, we very easily could have been ten and twelve, so um, we actually almost let them off, let let North off the off the hook, and and obviously they finished reasonably well. So to walk away with a <coughs> four or five goal win, yeah, okay, it's fine. It should have been better, but we kicked straight when it counted. Not so much when it counted, but when we had ascendancy, you know, really seven goals is probably par for that performance, and it probably could have been higher. So you mentioned there, once we got going, the Twin Towers, the Kraken brothers really came to the party. 
Um, and there's a little bit of them to go in the chicken salad, so we won't burn all the material we've got on them now. But we'd gotten goals out of them early in the first half. I think they might have kicked five or six between them in the first half, which was great and was sort of really our only source of attacking impetus and threat. Well, their impact and influence on the game grew because of a more fluid, faster ball movement. Like, you've got taller, stronger forwards than your opponents. We spoke about it earlier. Give them time, give them space, isolate them, and you will benefit. Like, we've seen it ourselves when we've got undersized defenders playing against Jeremy Cameron or Tom Hawkins or whoever it might be. And they get taken to the cleaners because the opposition forward's too big, too strong, too mobile, and they beat you because of it. When we've got that advantage, use it, mate. Like, I just, it was so incredibly frustrating. And then the follow-up for me, Timbo, was the other part of that is once you get it in a little bit quicker, the opportunity for your smalls is obviously increased. Yeah. Um, and we saw a player like a Jesse Motlop was a great example of a player who really came to life in the second half. Uh, 100%. And he was he was a massive st- standout for me. But, yeah, that, that balance really came to the fore. I, I think, you know, when we were talking about some of our soft targets earlier, you know, Zach Fisher... Zach Fisher had a bit of a dirty day in the second in the first half, but then when that um, the smalls and the run and the connection came together, Zach Fisher was really really good in the second half. Well, I've got a note um, about him in the chicken salads. Well, if you talk about, there are some footballers who, and I think Adam Sard is probably one of them. Um, the diff, like their best, his best can be amazing, but in, in most games. Um, he doesn't really um, swing that wildly. Yeah, he's pretty consistent in what his output's going to be, how he's going to compete, and what his output is going to end up being. Zach Fisher, he, he's he's a very very frustrating footballer to watch because in game the difference between his best and his worst can be dramatic, um, and and the whole game was a game of two halves, but it was absolutely personified by Zach because once he did get up and going and, and really impacted in the second half, he played a great half of football, but his overall game was still, you know, yeah, up for up for decision, still quite late in the game because um because his poor had been very much that. And then lastly, mentality and response in terms of that second half performance. We spoke about it in the first. It's only fair we cover it off in the second. Our response in the third quarter our, or our um, mental application in the third quarter was important for a couple of reasons. A, because we did what we needed to to gap them and win the match, which is obviously the primary responsibility of a football team. And B, we might have actually learned a bit of something about ourselves in the process. I think so. I, I think... I think the time that you spend breaking down game tape and working out what's good, what's bad, what needs improvement, you know, it, it, it's great to know where your weaknesses are and what you need to work on. But similarly, you can't be forever focusing only on your weaknesses at the cost of your strengths. So when you sit there and you tick the box and you're going, yeah, do more of that, do more of that, do more of that, the more examples of saying this is the Carlton way, and and, and you've long said what what is our game style? What do we want to be? When we are starting to play that way and go, yeah, guys, that's it, and do more of that. That's that's where cutting up tape and all that sort of stuff and doing reviews and all that sort of stuff. That when it, that's when it gets a little bit more fun, and you can see it working out, and everybody's on board, and we know what's happening. And then hopefully that's the way that we're playing in twos as well to be able to sort of galvanise the team from the top down as well. So. 
Agree. Uh, chicken salads mm. now. So obviously, first thing for the chicken salads, we've got to start with this, Timbo. <laughs> Do you understand that? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a rooster. So who's the rooster? Yeah, are they big, big key forwards of the roosters, are they? We had a rooster problem. Gary Lyon saying we had a rooster problem. That's right, because they because we were saying Charlie had to outmark his own opponent as yes. well as Harry and Harry's opponent. Yes. Yeah. So the two boys, the big boys, the Kraken brothers, we had favourable matchups. They did exactly what we needed them to do. We needed them to take control of the contest, and they did it. Dangerous inside 50, excellent as hit-up targets on the wing. Fantastic spacing with one another as well throughout the course of the match. Very, very rarely in each other's way. Um Basically, a much better performance individually and as a tandem. They took 23 marks between them, 9 to Charlie, 14 to Harry. They each took four contested marks for context. The Kangaroos had six total. Wowee. So, and, and, and I don't know about you, I, I think I felt like because they were spacing better against one another, at the times when TDK was in the forward line and he was an option there as well, he looked more dangerous than he's ever looked all season probably because he was not going, you know, up all three of them. But he suddenly looked like a dangerous forward as well. And and, and he added a another dimension to our forward line that we really haven't seen this season and probably didn't see last season because Pitnet was out with his PCL for as long as he was. So all of a sudden, TDK really looked like very much the um, the luxury bonus footballer that, that he probably can be in our structure. Do you reckon uh, for Baganow, she's prepared now to concede what we spoke about all those years ago, that Harry's the up the ground, Charlie's the close Well, I, I, I must say for a little while, I wasn't necessarily convinced. I remember the conversation, um, Tim. But, you weren't. Yeah, well, look, ha- Harry up the ground looks fantastic. And and the the only counter to that is when Charlie Kernow gets the ball, his kicking skills – in general, uh, can be immaculate. He's and he's uh, um, he takes the game on. You know, we, the amount of times we see him, you know, play on quickly and try and kick the goal around the corner and all that sort of stuff. But he's always about moving the ball and attacking and getting on. He's a very aggressive footballer by foot. Um, and his field kicking when he's got wing half forward, he's always putting it in a position that really, really puts opposition under. Um, uh, under a hell of a lot of pressure, and he's got such great distance in his kicks too, where where defenders are setting up thinking the next contest is going to be, the amount of times he can put it out the back and really bring other people into the game as well, he can. he's a nightmare for uh, a defensive coordinator, I would have thought. A quasi-chicken salad for me just on forward structure was early on, and it kind of evolved as the match went on, but early on we were playing with two banks of three. We had smalls in front of talls, and you just went, thank yep. you. Yep. We were defending. The guys were up on the wing, and uh, the big talls were, were probably 10 or 15 metres behind the smalls, and the smalls were staggered in front of them. And you just went, yes, excellent. That's something vaguely approximating what you would expect from an AFL team. Um, the next chicken Correct. salad belongs to, oh, it's the sound of Raul. Raul. Lake Weedering, of course. As good as the big boys were up the front, uh, the boys at the back were fantastic again, and they're developing into a very steady and reliable tandem. Um, It's sort of easy to forget how little football Weedering and Young played with each other last year, and and particularly in the back end. So 
it feels as though they're kind of developing or re-establishing that very important defensive chemistry. Uh, 22 marks between them, 18 spoils between them. Um, fantastic display, I thought. No, I, I agree. And, and and even still, Lewis every now and again can get under the ball a little bit and he's he'll still get hands to marks that he can take, but he isn't taking him one grab and he's not always securing the ball on second grab. So if he can get his timing just a touch more, your 22 marks, you can easily add another four or five to it. And, and But he just, again, the more footy he plays there, the more the more strength and confidence that he, he carries himself with, um, that becomes awfully dangerous. And 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 the Marchbanks of the world, if, if Marchbank does get himself fit and ready to play, you, you even battle to see how the structure looks when you've got McGovern and Newman playing as well as they are. Is there another spot for another tall coming in there? And it'll be an interesting experiment, but there's a lot that's going right right now. 100%. Uh, the next chicken salad for us was Patrick Cripps. Uh, 30 touches, had nine clearances. Uh, given the personnel we had in the middle, and it was a, a little bit of a... Sh- we were a little bit shorthanded when you consider Hewitt is obviously lame with the hand. Walsh not there, Kennedy not there, Akers out. Um, I was really happy with Cripps's kick-to-handball ratio. So 30 touches, he had 24 handballs, which tells me he's winning it, he's distributing it, He's releasing the play, which was great. Um, I thought it was a really solid game from him, to be honest. So he had to do a lot of heavy lifting, and he did it. Oh, look, 100%. He, he's – we long lamented when you would watch games where Cripps would try and do too much. He wasn't doing that yesterday, um, and he's, he's probably just learning um, – that he doesn't have to do it on his own, that he's surrounded by a great core of teammates and he's just got to be smart to be able to pick it apart. And, look, we, we love Cripper. We absolutely love him. But he's not a phenomenal kick of the footy. No. So he's not always the guy that we want having that kick inside 50. There was, there was one or two instances where just in positioning on the ground, he did get out the back and he was able to be the connecting kick from the midfield in. And I think it came off, but again, he's not necessarily the guy you want doing it, um, but his work rate is such that he can still put himself into that position. But you're right. You know, a guy, when he's like, we probably want him doing more than 20% kicks in general, but if that handball's going to a better user, to a guy in more space, under less pressure, who can execute better than what Cripper can do anyway, you beauty. Special shout-out as well to Sam Doherty, who he only had the 19 touches, but I think he had some really good, really important moments when we needed him to, both at half-back and when he pushed up in the midfield. So it's a – if Cripper and these boys, they're getting the big salad, he's getting the, the sort of slightly more regular-sized uh, chicken salad for his efforts. And, and obviously we're going we're gonna to add Walsh and Kennedy next week as well as Akers coming back after suspension. So I, I love I love the Doherty midfield cameo. Um I like to see it. I even though we will probably relax that need and and go back to a bit more of a traditional structure. I'd still like us in game to be able to just keep on um, uh, infusing him now and again. And we don't have to do it a lot because I just think that's good mentally for players to have flexibility. Also, if somebody does go down, you know that he's it, it's a more easy thing to be able to switch to straight away. Um, but um, 
but yeah, that that cameo role that he does play, you, you realise how good of a footballer he is when he genuinely impacts when he's doing more than just the customary. Jesse Motlop finished the day with 13 touches, kicked two goals, and importantly was lively every time he had the ball in hand or was generally near the ball. Had a massive moment in the third quarter to set up a really big goal for us. Um, I think what he's developing into as well, he's not there yet, but what he's tracking towards being is a bit of a, a sort of a, a player that the crowd responds to. So very much so. when he's up, when he's near the ball, there's a little bit of a hum of electricity as to what he might do. And, and he's going to have games where he's less effective and more effective week on week because he's still a second-year player. But what we saw was a really good balance on Friday of uh, great work with ball in hand, good pressure when not without it, when without it. Um, delivery was good. Tim's just had a fall. Um uh, delivery is good, <laughs> and, and all that stuff. So I thought Jesse Motlop was really good. Really enjoyed his performance on the day. Well, and I think the crowd, the crowd went early on Jesse Motlop in general. Mm. I, I reckon the crowd knew that there was every chance that he could be a new cult hero, and I think he, I think we started, you know, that hum and the bubble that would come when he's in and around the play. I reckon it started earlier before he deserved it. Yep. But I, I think, as you said, we could sort of see – I think we knew what we wanted and we thought, I think this is the guy that might be able to give it. And then even before he'd done it, he was – we were starting to get in behind him. But he's genuinely started to, um, you know, do the little things that, that makes our team better. And, 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 again, he's one of those footballs. He doesn't need a lot of it because he's all class. And uh, and there was a lot of front and centre. There was a lot of hard work. There was chasing. There was harassing. Um, but to be able to have a guy that can kick the set shot that he kicked as well, and it's very, very similar to his dad, but being able to kick genuinely 50 and being a real weapon and not being afraid of the occasion um, – Geez, he's a kid that I just like. I, I really, really enjoy him. You know, he's, I think, winning the crowd over Timbo Slice. Mitch McGavin, he had 27 touches. He had 22 effective disposals, seven score involvements from half back. I think what we've kind of done is we've replaced what Liam Jones was doing with Young and McGovern. But the net positive, Correct. or the net for us has been a positive because Young, I think, is at least as good one-on-one as Jones. And I think Mitch is actually a much better distributor as that sweeper. I, I've long said I, I think Mitch McGovern's our best kick in our team. I, and, and the fact that he's prepared to take the game on and take risks and uh, and move the ball fast. and And yet he's... He'll give you the contest in the air. He's good on the ground. He can lay tackles. He plays with genuine power. Um, obviously, he missed those two games pre-season, but he's barely missed a beat. I mean, obviously, he's had, he had errors in round one against Richmond, but as far as his gen, general um, preparation has been and the, the quality of football he's playing right now, um, he's doing really, really well. And, look, we all know... The biggest challenge with McGovern over a long period of time has been stringing games together. So we're four games down. We've got four in a row. By and large, they've been good performances. We just need more and more and more. And fingers crossed that what that's what comes. But he's long been a favourite of mine, and I just love seeing what he's doing right now. So, look, he'll, he'll still have some flaky moments here and there, but at the moment, as you touched on, the good is 
far outweighing the bad, and we can kind of see as he gets more accustomed to that role, as he gets his sea legs, if you will, down back, um, he'll be all the better for it, will be the better for it. Uh, hopefully that hamstring cork isn't too bad. Fab sent us through a panicked text that he'd done a hamstring, and I looked up and thought, he's out there. Yeah, yeah. So thank and, you for and that. And that was the thing, like, you know, the moment that I – because it was, it was one of those things where <clears throat> when you're watching a game, sometimes you don't actually hear the commentary because you're not really listening to it because you're making your own assessment as you see it as you're going. And, and all of a sudden, they, they'd obviously spoken to somebody on the boundary line and they started talking hamstring and you thought, I don't even know whether they were talking about a North player or a Carlton player that then. That sounds like and Mitch McGovern. The same, yeah, well, and that's the thing. And then the moment I saw Mitch McGovern with his um, his leg all taped up, I thought, fuck, they were talking a McGovern hamstring there. But obviously, it, it ended up being more of a, um, I think, a cork in the end, and you thought, well, geez, I'll take a hamstring cork for Mitch any day of the week. Thank you very much. Yet, oddly, when I looked at the match report, they were saying that it was quad. So unless they were just thinking more sort of thigh or something like that. So maybe there's a little bit more to it, and so we'll, we'll track it and we'll follow it. Um, but, yeah, a good game from Mitch. I mentioned Fish a little bit earlier, and I think you spoke really well to how he played. It wasn't uh, an outstanding game by any means, but what I want to say about Zach Fisher, and this might be controversial – I loved his positivity. He had 28 touches. Agreed. And there was a little bit of junk in there, of course. But he was winning the ball in tight. He finished with five clearances. He was spreading really hard. He was taking ground with ball in hand. He was kicking to leading forwards. Went in for a couple of centre bounces, which was good. So I'm just giving him a shout-out because whilst it was by no means a perfect performance, just the mindset and the positivity of how he was playing the game, clearly someone had had a chat to him. Yep. And not everything went his way, not everything that he did worked, but just his approach to the game was far closer to what we need from Zach Fisher than what he'd been doing previously. And and the kudos to not going to your shell, not continuing to run, not taking the game on when you get an opportunity late, later on, there would be plenty of people that play that half-forward style role be a goldfish. things don't go their way and they're having a bad day, they'd fall apart. And he didn't. So... Like I said, we we can we have seen better from Fish and we should be expecting better from Fish, but I thought Friday was a step in the right direction. Um, so hopefully you can build on that in the coming weeks. Uh, chicken shit's only a couple of years. We've spoken about a few of them. We don't need to go back over them, but uh, I've got one here for chicken shits. It's just why do we make things so difficult? That probably just ties into our mentality and how we started the game and then we made the correction at halftime and it all seemed to click. Why didn't we just start the game? It's a bit like, you know, you ever watch Power Rangers back in the day, Tim, and they'd be fighting some stupid monster and then they'd realise, mm. oh, we've got this big fucking sword that just, like, kills people. So <laughs> why have we been getting our ass kicked for the last five minutes? Why don't we just form this big monster together and fight him as a unit? Every week they did this. Every week they forgot, we're a team. Yeah, let's just create Megazord and beat this fuck together rather than try to take him on one-on-one. <laughs> and he's going, why don't you just do that to start? Why don't you roll out of your little compound as Megazord and then just produce that fucking sword and then just stab the guy and it's over? It was just infuriating. <laughs> That's what I, it felt like. I absolutely like. know your analogy. It's not something that keeps me up at night just, and it's not especially my go-to, but what are we doing? you're moved by the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, just made, all power to you. I just remember watching it repeatedly and just thinking after a while, I reckon we got three or four episodes in and just thinking – you got to debrief this when you get back to that your little compound. You got to debrief this, and someone's got to be saying, 
why don't we just combine to start and then that makes us real super powerful and then we'll just get that sword out here. And then like as our success rate once we do that is it's immaculate. So why don't we just do that to begin with because our success rate when we're trying to do our own things is actually zero. I'm hearing it. That match, I'm their, hearing their, it. Their match review was not not good. Um, and then just covering off, look, we, we've covered off all the other stuff, I suppose, basically, the first half tempo ball movement method. Don't really want to labour and backtrack on that. Um, obviously, we've got uh, now coming up. Oh, Timo, it's another 90s banger. Oh, well, they don't get better than this one, this do is, they? This is probably the king of the 90s banger. Correct. What a tune. Oh, doesn't get more 90s than this. Still sounds good. Still don't know what he's saying, but whatever. Oh, Timbo, why did we play that? We played it because the Blues are back, Sean. That's exactly correct. I had a friend who used to... Um... And, and just a quick one for you, Sean. Yes. I had a chat with my sister. She uh, she came and watched the footy with me on Good Friday and oh, had some Kath. fish and chips with us. Um, and, and Kath loves her music as well. She saw the same interview with Dave Grohl that I saw, mm. and he talked about how one of his big influences as a drummer was some of the, um, the, the hip-hop, um, dance stuff from the 70s, mm-hmm. and he said uh, he ran into a bike, and I think the band was called Cameo from the um, um, from the 70s, and he was talking to the guy, and he goes, um, actually, interesting, he said, um, I pretty much ripped off a lot of your music that I used in the early days with Nirvana, and the guy's gone, oh, I know. <laughs> the guy's probably like, <laughs> sorry, Dave, can you, can you say that into my phone? <laughs> please, so I can sue you immediately. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That leads us into... Uh, S.I. Morales Memorial Bust a Nut Trophy. This week, I'm not hard and fast, but the the beautiful... The S.I. Morales Memorial Bust a Nut Trophy is actually quite a lot like the AFL rulebook. It can be bend... Can be bent. It can be reformed. It can be shaped however we want it to be, given the circumstances. We can give the SI Morales to literally the best player on the ground, if we so choose. We could also give it out, like I want to do this week, for individual moments. So these have been highlighted on Twitter. I propose joint SI Morales winners this week: Edward Kerno and Corey Durden. For and your Ed Kerno is going to be the block. In the middle of the it ground is. that released, and I forget who the player was. Doc. As I was watching it, when I saw it, I got so excited, so um, comfortable with what you're saying about Ed. Talk me through your Corey Durden, but there's an extra player I wanted to throw in too. So the Durden one was effectively the same thing, where he did a nice little block for a Charlie Kerno lead. He just shifted across. Oh, and then a North player said, "Is this a block?" Yeah. I remember seeing it. But he yeah. just shifted across. He just he just ran across the line. He just gave Charlie an extra couple of steps distance or gap from uh, I think it was Aiden Core from memory, and you just went was. and you just went look. 
Cool might not get to that contest. He might not get to impact, but he does would be a little bit closer. And Corey just comes across, steps in his path, checks him ever so slightly, gives Charlie the, the gap. Charlie takes an uncontested mark. So they were effectively the same instance, if you will. Um, yeah. So who who were you? Look, my 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 extra nomination was Jesse Motlock. Yes, I had him. I had um, him we, down. We talked to him more, and and maybe he's qualified more for just purely being a chicken salad for the game. Maybe. Um, but but as a watch, I just sort of I was watching with that whole we are better than this mob. When are we going to start putting some scoreboard pressure and 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 gapping them? And I thought early. Jesse was working hard and he was finding the footy. He was giving us an opportunity, but it was in the start of that third quarter where where the cream really, really rose to the surface. And again, that set shot where he ran off the line and uh, and kicked the goal. Um, I just thought that was that was a moment where he's gone. I'm just more than uh, a cameo player. I, I'm I'm I can be one of the heavy hitters in this forward line as well. Um, and I just thought he really took the game by the scruff of the neck. And I, I thought that was pretty special from a young kid. I've also got a sundry nomination just because it really chapped Fab's ass. But uh, Josh <laughs> Honey going back and drilling that shot never looked like missing for about 48 minutes. It was out. a terrific shot, wasn't uh, it? It was a Absolutely. wonderful, wonderful set shot. And therein lies the quandary with Josh Honey because when he actually gets the ball, this is going to sound so stupid. He looks like a footballer. He just doesn't get it enough. He just doesn't get enough. There's moments yeah. where you go the way he moves and he's his kicking's usually pretty good. He just that's the problem, obviously. He needs to get the ball more often. Um look, I'm happy to go for a Jesse Motlop, and I'm happy to give um uh SR Morales Memorial Buster Nut Trophy um commendations of merit to um Ed and Durds. One, I love that. I yep. think that's the right outcome. Sure. I like it. That means it's mailbox time. Um, Woo. Who's that in the background? Torrance. <laughs> Torrance, where are You've got mail. He's probably thinking, quite rightfully, why are you still doing this? Uh, which I don't blame him for. Oh, no. Oh, Tim's something's happening there. This is, this is turned into The Shining. I'm knocking on the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so mailbox time. Um, Horatio Leavenworth is a new um, commenter. I don't know. Is that, is, that a, is that your real name? It's a fucking amazing name. Leavenworth. Horatio Leavenworth. Um, should we be playing one-handed Hewitt with Walsh and Kennedy back in the team or do we give him a break? I think that just comes down to is the hand getting better? Well, I, I think you're right. And and interestingly, a uh, message I got from Jay Hyatt during the week is he said a mate of his ran into George Hewitt. Might have been at like a childcare or something like that, but reckoned he looked really sore as well. <laughs> um, and, yes, and not just in the hand, but just in his body. And he's had back issues and all that sort of stuff. So it will be an interesting watch. For us, it's a six-day break. Um, so obviously, if we're bringing in Akers, Kennedy, Walsh, um, it'll it'll be interesting to see whether it's just quality in and underperformers out, um, or tribunal victims and all that sort of stuff, or whether there is an opportunity for us to do a little bit of clever rotations at time because that that's never been something that we've had the ability to be able to do. It's it's also been one that we over time have thought that we haven't utilised, 
as often as we should. So it's something that I, I would welcome. Um, but, yeah, we'll just sort of see what match committee does do. So it wouldn't surprise. It's incredibly on brand that we would welcome back Kennedy, Akers, Walsh and lose something that we would like to keep in the team as well. Well, this is true. God um, forbid we went in at 100%. Uh, Josh Reby, do you see the manner in which we won as a positive with upside, uh, given we're nowhere near running on all cylinders but still banking the points, or as a red flag? We seem to lack the killer instinct to put sides away. We, we spoke about this at length during the episode, I think, where – Happy, ultimately, that the method of play we employed in the second half was effective and certainly more attractive. Hopefully, the learning is to play a little bit more like that. Uh, we only had to play that way for 20-odd minutes to get the result. So if there's some growth there, that's a positive. Um, and, and look, we spoke about the killer instinct thing as well. And less of a concern uh, out of that game in the sense that I think it was pretty obvious that we'd, we'd sort of hit a little bit of a wall late in the game, it sort of opened up a little bit. They got a couple of cheapy sort of ones, junk timey kind of goals that didn't affect the result. That's not excusing them, but I think we were just a bit out of gas, to be honest. Um, yeah, and, and we're coming up against Darren Burgess side this week. And, you know, again, they, they run hard at the right time to help their team. And they'll do that against us. So we we want to make sure that if we're going to win the game, that we've got them taken care of because you wouldn't want to leave it late um, and hope that we're running on top of the ground to try and finish the game up or try and try and keep them out if um, if if they bought into their game style and are fit enough to be able to keep on going. Agree, 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 Neil Harper. Will this week's pod be for Carlton fans or just North, considering that's all that was at Marvel on Friday? Uh, 49,000 <laughs> Ruse fans, apparently, Neil, 100%. We've actually recorded a second podcast just to make sure we cover off on all the North fans who were there. And again, just a special shout out and a thank you to North for letting us be a part of that match. Um, we certainly couldn't have drawn a crowd like that under our own steam. So. Um, it was really, really pleasing that they let us, you know, ride their coattails for just a week and experience the high life. Um, yeah, we, we only had the highest average score of any team, uh, highest average attendance of any team last season. So amazing that it was a bit of a record-setting uh, turnout. Are you sure? I thought, it was the, I thought it was the Ruse that had that attendance. I might have misread that. No doubt. Um, Teague, <laughs> Teague Strain. Uh, this one's for Fab. Fab's not here, unfortunately. Just wondering how Fab's feeling about his plus 500 bulls and equally how Timbo is enjoying a fully healthy lake show heading into the finals. Just on Fab, um, heard no chatter about the bulls for the better part of three or four months, actually. So um, not 100% sure how they're going, but given he's not telling me, um, I assume the answer is shit. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, David Red, uh, David Redbear. If we're if we're without Harry, how do you structure the forward line? I think TDK's just got to become that second banana um, option up the wing. Uh, you know, he can do that. He can lead up the wing and take that mark. And I think giving him a little bit more space is more beneficial because he's kind of less au fait with the big contested pack marks deep. Um, and then we would probably just need whether a Jack Martin's fit, a Jack Silvani to play again up a little bit, um, that, that would, I think, be, I, I suppose, would be the the thinking you would imagine. Um, and, and I think a quick shout-out too, Sean. I thought um, I thought Mark Pidnett acquitted himself quite well on Friday and, and it did release 
um, TDK up, up forward more. So if we were without Harry, I just think maybe they'd put a little bit more of a um, uh, an emphasis on the time that um, Pitto would spend on ball and it, and it may favour him more than what it's been in the past, give give TDK a little bit more time up forward. But as you say, that that third tool in 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 JSOS becomes really, really important without Harry. Um, I, I think what might be interesting with those three players coming back in is is what we've done so far this season get questioned with maybe a JSOS um, making way, which would be ironic given that, that we said that was the biggest criticism going into the Adelaide game last year. So the True. fact that we, <laughs> I'm even thinking of, you know, almost makes me sort of vomit in my mouth a little bit. But, um, but it, again, there's a balance that we've got to find. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. That would be a funny twist of fate if this year everyone went, no, we understand it now. This time we, yes. we, we get it. Uh, Eric Turlato uh, has a question for both yourself and Fabaganoush. Um, will Fab and Timbo commit to the show this year? Well, Timbo has an, answered that question, I think, with his presence. So he can be let off the hook. As for the big man, he needs a fucking rocket. Um, he might need a week in the twos, to be honest. Do we have a, a, do we have a, a development podcast? Do we have a, a, a seconds podcast so he can, <laughs> he can come back through? Um, Dave Gershman, I feel a sense of calmness when Adam Sard has ball in hand. His skill and decision-making are elite. Past nominees for me include Craig Bradley, Heath Scotland, and Bryce Gibbs. Who would be at the top of your list, past and present? I think, I think Dave's list is pretty good, to be honest. In terms yeah, of in the, those eras, you know, Heath Scotland was fantastic in that kind of mid two thousands to mid twenty tens. You know, Gibbs was always obviously very smooth user and very skillful player. Um, you know, Craig Bradley very rarely made the wrong decision, and and given he was usually running at pace. Um, that was always extraordinary to see. And, and his ability to slow down as well and kind of pivot um, was always exceptional as well. Oh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not passing the buck here, but I think those three are pretty good shouts from those particular eras, to be honest. And, and slightly differently, but, you know, your Ange Christo at the peak of his powers before back injuries and all that sort of stuff, his ability to be able to sort of attack and hit targets and all that sort of stuff. He'd be a beautiful footballer in the modern game, you would think. Oh, Len Jett, just to close us off, uh, we're 0-6 from six starts at the Adelaide Oval. It's about 20 metres narrower is the narrow field, our Achilles heel. Oh, look, narrow fields do make it hard. Like, Cadinia Park is considerably narrow, narrower than an MCG, for instance. So going from one ground to the other is um, jarring. But... I think with um, with the Adelaide Oval stat, what people I think need to consider is we've actually been pretty shit since the Adelaide Oval's been open. Absolutely. Like the, the only game I think we've played at the Adelaide Oval since it's been open that we would have any reasonable expectations of winning was last year against Adelaide. Correct. Every other game at the Adelaide Oval up to that point, we would be comfortable outsiders in the in the betting market, understandably. Just because we weren't, weren't a very good team. Certainly in the Port Adelaide games, Adelaide's always been a bit funny, and you know they they had those couple of seasons when everything was humming before the camp and everything fell apart and all that sort of stuff. So we probably had the opportunities to be able to get them. Um, I think you know we we had the disastrous game when um, when Bryce Gibbs helped carry. Cade Simpson off the ground at the end of the 300 and all that sort of stuff. And it was no, that just... Was, that was on the Gold Coast. 
Uh, that was Gold Coast, was it? Oh, there you go. So it wasn't even an Adelaide Oval. That's probably a better thing. But, yeah, we've, we've had some horrendous games. I, I always tell the story that I went into state with um, Brent, Matt, uh, Greg and um, Steve, uh, just a, a group that we often go. We, we go into state once a year and we went to the Adelaide Oval against Port Adelaide. We actually played quite well and got beaten by 15 goals. And it was just like this side dead set could not miss. Probably going back maybe five years ago now. But we played them there on a Friday night, flew across for it, and we were... Oh, we were terrible. We were like, which is hats on occasions. Like, yeah. We spent too long without the footy, um, but, geez, when they had it, they just they just destroyed us. That's a classic, so, that's a classic yeah. Timism. You know, we've lost by 15 goals. We actually played all right. I like it. <laughs> it, was, it. It was bizarre, and we all walked away and just sort of said, I've been to 15-goal games where we've been horrendous, and it's sort of like I kind of walk away and go, we weren't that bad. <laughs> Maybe you just enjoyed each other's company. Um, Must ooh, be. Johnny Raincloud time. Johnny Raincloud. Very apt, given the, the weather we're having here in Melbourne over the last couple of days. Uh, my, oh, Johnny, my Johnny Raincloud for this week, and I've said it on Twitter before, and people can disagree all they want, and they're entitled to that opinion. I hate and we're experiencing it this weekend, I hate when businesses choose to open on a public holiday and then slug the custom a surcharge. But you can get why. Well, as nah, you're just fuck it, mate. If you, don't wanna, if, you, if you don't want to pay your staff penalty rates, which is obviously a big part of the staff member working that day, don't open. Don't, don't say to yeah. me that this item that's usually $15 is now $18. You go, what do you mean? The fuck are you talking about? The produce that you bought to make this item, it would be a piece of food or whatever, you were you charged a surcharge to buy that? So why am I now no. fucking paying your staff? Well, I, I guess as you're sort of saying is, does your does your wage rate that you pay every other day include a tiny little bit that should be covering off on all your public holidays throughout the year and therefore everything is, you know, ceteris paribus, everything remains the same. I so agree, So therefore Tim. absorb it as needed. But, uh, yeah, no, I like it. I, I, just can, think, I can I, wear that. I just think, and just to be clear, because people came for me last time I said it, but it was about a 50-50 split, to be honest. But I understand that they're paying penalty rates and that's obviously an added expense. I totally get that. But... At the same time, it kind of pisses me off that, well, I'm the customer and I'm covering that. It's like, just don't well, open. Going, if you don't want to yeah, pay correct. that, if you don't want to pay your staff the extra whatever it might be, going, I've got no issue with penalty rates being paid. It's not a problem, but I don't think I should be the one uh, paying them. Well, or as you say, at least then you would have the choice. Excellent. Do you have a Johnny Rain claim? Uh, one from me. Excellent. One from me. Yep. So we're down at Point Leo, and and I'm sort of going to answer the question with the prelude to it, but oh, no. there isn't a lot of parking down at the surf beach. And as you drive down the road to Point Leo, you go around this bend and they have a camping ground on the foreshore and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they have a little um, toll booth, and at the toll booth they're charging people $4 to be able to park in any car park between the toll booth and the surf beach. And granted, again, you wouldn't you wouldn't fit a shitload of cars all through there and there's a camping ground, there's um, 
playgrounds and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to go in there, you have to pay $4. Now, fortunately, we've got to go through there, but because we're a resident, you're not using the car park, so therefore we just say we're a resident. You don't have to pay it. But 4 bucks just to be able to park in what would be public car parks seems an awfully – it's not a big amount, but I don't get what you're actually paying for. And, and, and I guess all it is is basically just saying – well, maybe people, if you don't want to pay the $4, park before the toll booth and walk up. But it just seems odd that um, it's just a day at the beach. Why are you paying extra money for it? And I think that this maybe slugging Maybe if you go to Frankton, you've got to pay your money in the, in the parking machines to park there, and maybe that's all part of it. But it just seemed odd. I think they're slugging you because, well, why not? Try it. It was like that classic urban legend, Tim, about the guy that ran the parking lot at the London Museum. It's one of those, it's, has it ever, I actually don't know if it's ever been proven or corroborated or fact-checked, but the idea was that um, this old guy ran this little car park that parked buses and other things for tour groups and schools, um, either adjacent to nearby whatever museum it was in London, and made a bit of a killing, you know, because you can imagine the vast numbers of students and other groups going through these museums on a daily basis year-round. And then one day he just apparently the urban legend is uh, he just wasn't there anymore and he wasn't employed by the council or the museum or whatever. He was just operating this little patch of land that people were then parking in so they could go to the museum and he was just pocketing the money. Sensational. So uh, again, people have probably heard that. Whether or not it is true, I do not know. I like it. But it's a great story. I like that story. Thank you, Tim. It uh, tickles me because sometimes, like I said, I don't mind, hey, I don't want to get this idea as a tight ass. I don't mind paying for things as such, but like shit like that where you're kind of going, so if I give me my $4, am I guaranteed to get a car park? Well, that's the other thing. They're certainly, they're certainly not, um, they're certainly not guaranteeing. It's just when you get in, just park wherever the fuck you want. So it needs to be <laughs> regulated. And I, and I, as you say, oh, it's, it's certainly not regulated. And, uh, and the amount of times you drive down, I'm not even sure whether there's going to be a little person in there or not. So, uh, but anyway. We're not paying, and that's the important thing. I agree, Tim. Tim, that brings us to the end of the show. Fantastic stuff, as always. Um, that wraps us up. Excellent. There's no banger just at the moment playing uh, outro song, Prenda DJ. As we say all the time, if you can guess the theme of the Prenda DJ, hashtag Prenda DJ, let us know. It'll probably be playing now. I think I've got one in mind, so I'll just overlay it later and we'll go from there. But uh, for me, Sean Peterbush, thank you so much for listening. For Timbo Slice. It's always a pleasure, Sean, and uh, nice to remain undefeated. We'll catch you next week. When go Blues. And you're looking for a place to land. I'll step from the shadow into the palm of your hand.
I can change 